0: to eurovision legends Ose
1: thank you very much i'm delighted to be with you today
0: lovely how are you well this is a very special year
1: most over the world and uh, considering that i have nothing to complain about this has been a very exciting year for me as uh, well one of the things are that i some months ago released my first album in 44 years so, uh, so uh, I'm now giving concerts. I'm back in music, and I do enjoy it.
0: I would love to talk about your new album later, but first I must say it's a big honor to talk to you in my podcast. We haven't spoken for twenty years.
1: Oh, is it that long?
0: <laughs> we we met you and I on the Luxuries. Säfflebussen from Stockholm <laughs> to Ormol <laughs> Well, we stopped in Karlstad for what we in Sweden call a pink pause, <laughs> And yeah. I approached you and told you that I loved your hosting in 1986. Oh, to, that was you. To which you replied, my little friend, were you even born then? <laughs> yeah. And I told you proudly that, yes, I was six months old.
1: <laughs> well, so it, it, was a, it was a reasonable uh, question, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can assure this was a bigger moment for me than for you. So I believe you have forgotten about it.
1: Yes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> in
0: 1966, you took part in the Norwegian pre-selection Melody Grand Prix. Was yes. this the first time you were offered to compete?
1: Yes, it was. Uh, I was quite young then. I just uh, turned uh, 17. Well, I think many people in Norway were quite, uh, they were surprised that I was taking part in the Euro- Eurovision Song Contest because I was not known as a pop singer. I was a known quite uh, being quite a, should you say, serious young girl playing classical guitar and singing Bob Dylan, singing many of the the songs from the beginning of the protest wave that was coming on in the middle of the 60s.
0: Before we talk about this pre selection, I would like to clear some things up because it's a bit messy when you try to explain it. But five artists and five songs competed, and each of the songs was performed twice by different artists once with a small band and once with an orchestra. Do you remember the four other singers who took part in this final? Oh, it was
1: Green moldy. Uh, who was singing, in fact, the song that I was singing in Luxembourg. Then we had Venke Mire, who is still going on as an artist, a wonderful artist, and she had a really... Had a great breakthrough in Germany. We, we had uh, Kisti Barbo was the fourth and Anita Tallaug.
0: Exactly. You sang the songs Ge mig fri and Inte är nytt under solen. How come you were offered these two songs? Do you remember that?
1: Well, I think the main reason why I was invited to join the Eurovision Song Contest, the pre-selection, was the fact that uh, uh, Norway had not a very strong record, so they were trying to be somewhat strategic, asking themselves in the committee, what is uh, popular right now in Europe when it comes to uh, pop music? And so they draw the conclusion that protest songs and more political songs, that was something coming very strongly. And as I had just the year before had a breakthrough in France, singing, among other things, uh, Dylan in French, I was invited and they were, of course, hoping that, uh, well, I could score some uh, points. For Norway, and the other one, the one that won was uh, I was giving that one to sing because I was, uh, if I may say it myself, quite a good uh, guitar player, and this was like a jazz waltz, and uh, they wanted someone who could treat an instrument at the same time, so. That was the reason.:
0: Well, I understand the song GMA3" was the song that most people thought would win in advance.
1: Yes, that's right. And uh, I, I was singing that with the big uh, broadcasting orchestra. Well, each one of us had one song with a big orchestra, and that was uh, sort of your my song. And then they had the ones with a small band, so they thought that "Give me free" or "Give me free," the protest song, would be the winner. but it didn't turn out that way
2: in
1: it still is also the shortest song in the final (laughs) it was it was uh, a little bit less than two minutes
0: the studio version of the song was just over one and a half minute long so you could could really sing it twice if you wanted to (laughs) yes that's right (laughs) as i understand it you sang the second verse twice to make it longer
1: yes it (laughs) we did that And it was also, you know, a very, I mean, most songs uh, in the Eurovision Song Contests are about love, young people falling in love or uh, falling out of love and whatever. But this one was so different. And uh, it was quite a sad story with an old man sitting there thinking about the life he had and the life that was now soon be over. And at his feet... There was a young girl sitting there looking quite sadly on this uh, old man and um, not much fun there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the song has a very special trait in that it has five four time signature.
1: Well, it sounds like ta 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 There was a coincidence about exactly this because this year there were two songs in the, the same beat. They were from Norway and from Sweden and in the end we were number 2 and 3. So, maybe we should try this beat once more, because it worked (laughs) at least then.
0: You broke the tradition expecting female performers at the time to wear a dress. You opted for a pantsuit in pink. Yes,
1: it was the first time uh, in the Eurovision Song Contest, and... For many years, uh, I was uh, the one who did that. You know, I was a teenager. I hated dresses. I liked to wear uh, pantsuits and so on. And the year before, one of the big fashion houses in Paris had presented some styles like this. As I was working in France at that time, I thought, wow this is what I'm going to have when I uh, go to Luxembourg. And um, nobody forgot it, you know, for years here in Norway, when you have these variety shows and so on, there was also some tall man coming in, in a pink pajama (laughs) and singing with a deep voice. So (laughs) my grandmother thought it was a disgrace for the whole family that I was doing this but well no one forgot
0: it what i heard was that the pantsuit was made so people should understand it was pink even though it was black and white tv transmission
1: yes the, the it was made there were uh, before this suit was uh, was created then uh, the people in the nrk they were testing out which color looks the best in black and white. That's a challenge. And so they found out, and I was also part of this, that pink color, it did look sort of, it was not too dark, not too light. And of course, for those who were there, I hope they were
0: impressed. Do you remember if you were very nervous? No,
1: you know, when you're 16, 17, It's all natural. I mean, it's, uh, in that way, one of the best times during the life to do things like that, because at least I didn't have any nerves. I just, it was great. In in a way, I took it for granted.
0: You ended up in a third place, which remained the best result for Norway until Bobby Sox won the entire contest in 1985. And you said it before that Sweden came second uh, with uh, Svante Tureson and Lil Lindfors. And I talked to Lil just a few days ago in this <laughs> podcast, oh, and she had a question for you.
1: Hey, Jose, I have a question for you. What is your favorite instrument? What is the, the sound of that instrument that touches your heart? Oh, that was, uh... well, in a way, it's very easy for me to uh, uh, answer it. Because having been trained in classical guitar since I was nine years old and uh, had my debut as a classical guitarist. Of course, the guitar is very close to my heart. But as the years have passed by, and when rock and roll came on the stage, I haven't played electric guitar, but I think the guitar is so special because if you just have the right musicians, you can make it sound almost in all different ways. The guitar is my favorite instrument.
0: Lil Lin Fosch later became the host of the Eurovision in 1985. And as we all know, she lost her skirt that year and <laughs> got a new Eurovision rule named after her. <laughs> and Norway won in Sweden with Barbie socks. And you were asked to host the event with your dress on.
1: yes but so many people here in Norway were very as I had been uh, been dressed earlier in uh, pink pants and uh, whatever they were in a way expecting that I might do a little trick uh, (laughs) uh, again but I didn't (laughs) I had two beautiful dresses and I loved it but I mean lil is the one who really can do things like that. She's fabulous and she's uh, still going strong.
0: Do you remember how you got the question to host the event?
1: Yes. When Norway won in Sweden in 85, this was the first time. I mean, the Norwegians have been waiting for so long to win. And every year, no, not this time either. So it was a kind of hysteria here when Bobby Socks won. And uh, there were all kinds of uh, competitions where people were trying to guess who was going to host, or how was uh, she or he going to be dressed, and so on. In uh, the fall of 85, I was hosting Uh, Norway's Oscar half a year before I was singing and presenting and changing dresses and everything went very smooth until Roger Moore should be presented. And I mean, he was at the top then. And uh, I was so happy to get this possibility. And then suddenly everything got stuck. Well, the rest of the show went well. And of course, I was very angry with myself afterwards. Why did you do this? I mean, this is unbelievable. Anyhow, afterwards, there were going to be a banquet. And when I came down to the banquet, the head of the music department in Norwegian Broadcasting came to me and said, well, we have been watching you tonight because we have to decide today who is going to host the big European event? And uh, when we saw how you sort of saved that not very elegant <laughs> um, mistake you did, we said, "That's the thing. You are going to do this if you want to do it." So it was a it was a big surprise, but of course. It was great, and from then on, it was a circus. (laughs) And the expectations were so big, not only for me, but, you know, Norway has developed very much since 86, and we still lacked some uh, self-esteem. So it meant so much for us. That this was going to be a success.
0: What was important for you and the production team to show of Norway?
1: The diversity, the nature, and at the same time, very many people know that Norway is a very beautiful country from Mother Nature's side. But uh, the fact that Norway now was in the first part of uh, being an oil country, it was also very important to show Norway as a modern country, as a country with a very highly developed technology. And this mixture was important.
0: Can you share anything with us that happened behind the scenes that you remember?
1: Oh, of course, That were there were, <laughs> it was a lot of things taking place. And um, for my part, I was, at that time, I was president of the Norwegian Musicians Union. So uh, I had some years when I first and foremost work with negotiations and uh, trying to improve the situation for performers and musicians. And so almost every year I was holding a speech on 1st of May. I mean, that's Labor Day. And that's the day when we, uh, being part uh, of the union work, we're usually out talking about the rights for the musicians and for the performers. And so I was asked to uh, come to Bergen to hold the first of May speech, two days before the big Eurovision show. And uh, what happened was that the mayor of Bergen, who was a conservative uh, politician, he thought this was outrageous, that I should come there before this uh, musical event and talk about politics. There was quite a lot of fuss about that, but uh, it all went well. And then, of course, there was also, uh, what should you say, a small scandal on the day of the final, because uh, our crown princess at that time should make uh, her entrance. Then there was a person who was um, a very confused woman who came and threw something in the hair of the crown princess and the cra- our crown princess then and our queen today is a very very popular person and uh, there was people who were very upset about this but it was all taken care of in a well discreet way
0: yeah and thank god it was only water with sugar yes of course of course did they tell you about this attack or did they spare you the information before you went on live?
1: I, When I try to remember that now, I think they told me just before. But
0: I'm quite uncertain. Do you remember if you had any favorites among the songs?
1: No, I didn't really have because... I think as, as uh, many, what should I say, colleagues who have been doing a presentation of one of these big galas, you are so concentrated on what you are going to do, that um, it's, uh, you have some things you just have to say, this, other people are taking care of this, I do my job. <laughs> so really, the, no.
0: There were a lot of discussions about Sandra Kim's young age and it later turned out that they had indeed lied about it. Mm. Did you yourself doubt her age?
1: No. I just... uh, She was... uh, She could have been three years older. She could have been many things. And you have all these committees. You have all people who are taking care of the rules for the show and everything. So it was not none of my business and I didn't really think uh, much about it but of course it was evident that this was a very young uh, artist and the song she sung was uh, evidently written for a very young girl but I I didn't really doubt it no.
0: Everyone who has seen this show from 1986 remember clearly how you in the beginning of the show sang your own version of Te Soon
2: we will know who will be the best in the Eurovision song contest.
0: How did this idea come about? Do you remember this? I think it was three days
1: before the show. And I was talking uh, with Egil Mon Iversen, who was conducting the band, who was a very important person in music here in Norway. And I said, it, it feels in a way that um, I would like to have something to do that is a little special when I come in. And then he, who was a very powerful man as well, he said, well, you know, there it would be perfect if you, Who are the president for all the musicians and performers that you did something artistic in this? In
0: 1990, the prime minister in Norway asked you to be the minister of culture in her government. What was your reaction when you got this offer? I said yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Stating. And, but the, it's, it's interesting in a way because uh, this was not the first time that uh, I had been seen as um, a possible Minister of Culture. In fact, these days in Bergen, when we, were, when we were preparing for the big show, at that time, a new government should be appointed. And at that time, I was very much mentioned as a possible minister. I must say though that uh, I was very happy that I had some more years to go before I took on that role. And the fact that the government that I was a part of in 90, they were, it it lasted six years then, while this uh, former government,
0: just had a year to go, so. You were Norway's Minister of Culture between 1990 and 96, and one of the highlights during your time as Minister must have been the Olympic Games in Lillehammer in 1994. I remember this very well, even though I was only eight years old and not at all interested in sports, (laughs) but it was a great success for Norway, partly because you took so many medals, but above all because you put Norway on the world map.
1: Yes, that's right. The whole nation was so proud, but uh, for me, it was a great possibility to be, I was, uh, should you say, Olympic minister in charge uh, and also uh, responsible for sports. So I followed this process all through for uh, more than four years. And uh, it was a little bit like Bergen, you know, everybody wanted so much that we should be successful. But at the same time here in Norway, we have a tendency sometimes to be very pessimistic. You know, there is always someone saying, well, you know, it's not going to be any snow this year and the Swedes will come and take all the contracts. and and it's cost so much money. You know, it was, I didn't dare open the newspaper some days because then there was some new catastrophe. Samaranch was not doing his job. And, and then it really was a success. We, this, but the snow came six days before the Olympic Games. Uh, were, we, at the same time, we felt that we had such good luck with us. And as you say, it was also the response from the whole world was heartwarming, really. Still people coming here as tourists or in for other ways, they remember the opening of the Olympic Games in Lillehammer.
0: As a former Minister of Culture and as a former participant and host for the Eurovision Song Contest, do you consider that competition as a major culture event for Europe?
1: Oh, yes. Very much so, because, I mean, culture is not only singing and dancing. Culture is a way of living. It's uh, the way we... Uh, We have developed our country, it's the way how we live and so on. I have been for many years very much interested in architecture and in city planning. So when the games were prepared, there was a very special emphasis on design, on architecture, on how uh, the whole thing was... uh, was uh, designed and um, as soon as the games were over in Lillehammer I was invited to China because the Chinese Minister of Culture wanted to talk with me about something and that was quite funny because we went there and um, I wondered very much what will he talked with me about but then it turned out that he had been going from Oslo to Lillehammer almost every day in a limousine. And on the way he had seen all these Norwegian kids being out in the snow, rolling around, skiing, you know, with blushing cheeks. And he said, our young people, they do not move as much as they should do. We want you to come to China and try to get the Chinese population moving. (laughs) (laughs) We were then not five million people and they were, I guess, 1.2 or 1.3. It showed what a strong impression different parts of the games were doing on the visitors.
0: From a political point of view, what does the Eurovision competition mean for Europe do you think
1: I think it's sometimes it's uh, it's important to remember that when the Eurovision Song Contest was established many years ago more than 60 years ago it was going to be um, a contribution to peace it was at a time when you still couldn't take for granted that people in europe did not did uh, go to war against each other and uh, believing that you had a joint stage for music from as many european countries as possible that would be something very special and the fact that the populations of the european countries were sitting down at the same time, looking at the same show, and it was, the competition was about music, about songs, about the best show. Today, it might, I mean, I won't, I don't think that the Eurovision Song Contest is uh, maybe the, the most important reason for Europe being mostly uh, a peaceful place on earth. But I still think it's something almost touching when you sit and look at this show. And uh, for countries like ours, we remember, at least (laughs) people at my age, we remember how much it meant for us to be part of this and to win or to get a good number of points. And now seeing some of the young member states and some of those who joined for the last decade, uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, how much it means to them?
0: Some years later, you moved to Sweden and work as the CEO for the Swedish Film Institute And recently, the American actor and producer Will Ferrell made a comedy about the Eurovision called Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. And I wonder, have you seen this
1: movie? I hate to say it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, (laughs) I would very much like to do that.
0: But I haven't. Besides Norway three times as winners, and a few other good positions. You are the nation that came last most times. Yes. How come do you think? If you ask
1: Norwegians about that, we will say we have no clue. Of course, <laughs> we shouldn't be last.
0: But uh, I don't really know. Who is your favorite of Norway's entries besides your own song?
1: That, that is a very difficult question because... Uh, the songs that have been representing Norway has been so different. They're so different in style and uh, in so many ways that, that it's very hard to compare them with each other. I think that of the first entrances we had was "Voi Voi" with Nora Brockstedt, a much-loved, wonderful artist who was singing uh, this song in a Sami-inspired costume. And one of the reasons why I think that is... um, At that time, it was expected, at least from the jury here, that you should both have a... a, It should, of course, be a, a good song, but it should also represent... Something typical in Norwegian. And the fact that one that early was bringing in a touch of Sami culture, that was in fact very interesting.
0: You have just released a new album, the first one in 44 years. (laughs) Why did it took you so long?
1: You know, I had my debut when I was very young. And um, in fact, my musical career... When I was in my late 20s, I wanted another life, I wanted to, uh, I studied law, I was sick and tired of traveling. So in a very short time, I was involved in many other things, and I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, I was, I could have continued as an artist, but I suddenly wanted to do something different. Because I had never decided or had as a dream to be an artist for life. Some years ago, 10 years ago, I got cancer. And when I was through this, I suddenly I had realized that I was not going to live forever. That hadn't really struck me before. So I asked myself, what do you really want to do with the rest of your life? And then I suddenly felt that I was longing for music again. So I rented a tower outside Oslo on the old airport. And then I spent one year sitting there singing through all songs, everything I had been uh, singing before in my life, back in the Stone Age. (laughs) And... uh, I continue as long as I enjoy it, and as long as someone wants to listen.
0: What would you like to tell me about the album?
1: That it is, it's a very diverse album. It was very hard to decide what I should record, because I wanted to do so many things that an album, I mean, it uh, is nothing. You don't have uh, the space for it.
0: You made a new version of your old winning song, "Intet är nytt under solen."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jag vet om en gammal man,
2: en som har levt länge. Jag vet om en gammal man, en som har levt När han frågar mig om vad som har hänt mig och om solen har bränt mig jag svarar och söker tröst han ginger i stor länd han sjön med inte talt i
1: the way i sing it now i sing it That's At least that's my feeling, very much like I did many years ago. Not as fast as I did then, but uh, very much the same. (laughs) We have uh, prolonged it by uh, repeating some refrains, as we talked about before. This had a kind of world record in length. Or in shortage. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, uh, but then, of course, the band is much more uh, in jazz style than it
0: used to be. Also, I know that there is a special song on this new album. Can you please tell us about it?
1: There are many special songs on this album, but
0: (laughs) there is one special special.
1: Uh, And... um, One of the reasons why I started to sing, not only play guitar as I originally did, was the fact that there was an album released in, I think, 63. It was the first uh, album by Bob Dylan where he had been uh, writing all the songs. And one of these songs that really hit me strongly was Hard Rain's Gonna Fall and uh, I recorded it when I was 15, I think. Before I was going to studio, I met a very young poet, he was 18, and I asked him to translate it into Norwegian, and he did so. He became a very well known writer and a poet later, his name is Klaus Hagerup. It was a wonderful translation, but When I told the producer that now, now I have a wonderful Norwegian text, the producer was Swedish. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He said to me, well, what do you think the Swedish audience would say if I presented a Bob Dylan song in Norwegian? Well, of course, I understood that would be a terrible thing to do. So nothing happened with it. And I recorded the song in English. And so all through life, when I went this young, the young poet who was not so young anymore, he said, well, the day you make a record again, remember Hard Rain. And so four years ago, when I decided to make this album, he called me and said, well, do you remember Hard Rain? And I said, you bet I remember. That is one of the reasons why I want to make this album. And then I have been fighting to get the possibility to uh, to record it or to.
0: Oh, so the record company didn't want you didn't want you to publish yeah. it in Norwe- yeah. in Norwegian. Yeah. yeah.
1: So for these four years, uh, we have been discussing with the publishing company if, please, I could record this song in Norwegian and then just some weeks before we went into studio this spring we got the permission that is well it's sad to say that this song has is has the same actuality now as it had in the beginning of the 60s
2: for you do know mean black friend? Dine elskere kjenner deg dig igjen. Jeg flykter mot skogen for natten kan nå mig. Jeg flykter langt bort til jeg finner ditt ansikt. Jeg blir til en ulv og jeg juler mot månen. Jeg blir til en ravn og jeg... Kriker stormen Jag går till det mørkeste fengsel på jorden Der bøtteren alltid skjuler sitt ansikt Å nei Singer. And it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard And it's so hard rain we're gonna fall And it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard.
0: Thank you so much for this talk also i'm happy that we finally got to have a chat slightly longer than a pink pause call. stuff, <laughs> yes And thanks to you, dear listeners out there in the world. I'm so proud and thankful that you are listening, writing to me and sharing my episodes on your social media. You can contact me with suggestions, questions, opinions or whatever you feel like by emailing me at at emil.slagovanana.se or through Eurovision Legends on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe so you're always updated with new episodes. Stor klem då Åsa och hade ja, morrand.
1: Stor klem det ju också verkligen. Det var trevligt att träffa och se. Vad har
2: jag å väntat på? Nej säl där i stolen. När han är er så trist här nog. Inte där er i tun hörs sol.